Um, welcome everyone today. My name is Steve Keller. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. It's great to have you if we haven't met before. And as Donnie said at the beginning of the service, we're wrapping up our series on the Holy Spirit. And if you were here for the beginning, we did four weeks of just getting to know who the Holy Spirit is through creation, the Old Testament, the life of Jesus and the first church. And then on purpose, we spent nine weeks just going through the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God within us that comes by the Holy Spirit. And now we just have uh, these three weeks, well, actually two weeks left. Don did the first one last week. What we're talking about, just to wrap this all up, basically we're answering a question. And the question is, so what do we do with this? You know, what, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Um, a very practical end and hopefully a very powerful end to this sermon series. So let me pray for us. And then let's, uh, let's dig into this. Father, we welcome you. And God, we do need you. That last song just so beautifully says it. Um, Jesus, you are the way, the only way to the Father. And you are our life, our salvation, our hope. And so what we want to do as a church is, is we want to walk in your ways. And that's something that really needs to be said in these days when it's kind of like the, the end of the book of Judges where everyone just kind of did what was right in their own eyes. We don't want to be that way. We want to be a people on mission, and the mission being yours and not ours. So, Father, speak to us today, and uh, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with a very simple question today about faith. Um, and the question is, when it comes to Christianity... Who does this all rest on? Now, when I, when I say who does it rest on, I mean the action, okay? Who, who does the action rest with? Does it rest with God or does it rest with us? Um, in other words, is this all about, at the end of the day, in our life and times, is this all about God power or man power? Now, you can answer it a lot of ways, but some people would say uh, it's all on God. It, it really doesn't matter what we say and what we do. Um, you know, uh, God's in charge. He's set everything up. Our task is to worship, be good people, and just wait for Jesus. That, that's the job of the church. And I would suggest to you that that kind of thinking would, leads to a very static spiritual life. Um, words like dull, passive, instead of spiritual life, that's just kind of spiritual existence. Others would say it really rests on us. Um, you know, God set it up, right? He, he, he gave the, the, you know, all the, the commands and everything. God set it up, and it's kind of the divine clockmaker, if you've ever heard that, that theological thing. God set it all up, and it, it really also is on us right now that God reacts or he responds to what we do or don't do. And so when it comes to Christianity, we got a lot of hard work in front of us as the church. We do, and, and even our faith. You know, we, we really have got to have enough faith to move the hand of God. And I would just suggest to you that that kind of spiritual thinking is going to lead to a whole lot of striving, a whole lot of exhaustion, and either a whole lot of denial or disappointment in the end. Scripture, on the other hand, presents a, a, a very different understanding um, D.A. Carson kind of coined this phrase around 1980. He coined the phrase divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And I see a couple of nods, so some of y'all know where I'm going with this. And um, divine sovereignty simply means this. 
God is in control of everything. Um, God created it all. He rules over it all. God orders all things. Even our salvation is God's doing. And this, this truth of divine sovereignty is everywhere in Scripture. Um, I don't think there is a book of the Bible that you can look for, for more than a page and, and not see it. It jumps out at us all over the place. Uh, for example, in the prophets, uh, Jeremiah 32, 17 is a great example where he says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Uh, you can look in the Psalms. Boy, this is all over the Psalms. Uh, 103.19 is a great example. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over some. No, all. Over, kingdom rules over all. Uh, New Testament, Colossians 1.16. In him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, what makes divine sovereignty so wonderful for us, okay? Here's why this is such a great scenario for us. It's because of verses like Romans 8.28 that says, in all things, in other words, in all things God does, in, in all things God is about, in all of God's activity, okay? So in all things, again, God works for the good of those who love him. So you know what divine sovereignty means for us? Goodness. It's, it, it is the best gig in town, right? So with, with that said, <clears throat> we also see clearly in Scripture human responsibility. Now, what is human responsibility? It means that we get to play a part in the kingdom of God. Now, could God do it all on his own? Absolutely. But God has invited you and I in. He, he invites us to participate, to be a part of the action. The things that happen in the kingdom of God, well, we're agents, we're players on that stage, and it, it's just an amazing thing. We have a part to play in God's plan, in God's work down here. Um, I think of Jesus to the disciples in Matthew uh, 4.19, where he looks at these guys, and he says, come on, fellas, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think of obscure passages like James 1.22, which says to us, uh, uh, don't merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves or fall into deception. Do what it says. In other words, come on in. The water's great. Be a part of this thing. And of course, we see human responsibility all over the Bible in terms of people being called by God into the action called on mission with God. Um, we see people answering the call of God. Uh, we, we see people having the option to obey or disobey. So we are called, human responsibility, to participate and cooperate in the kingdom of God. Now, the most beautiful example of this is Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus beautifully shows this while he's on this earth in the Gospels. He comes and he is fully submitted and surrendered to the will of God, the word of God, and the ways of God. 
So Jesus himself comes in this place of, of, of uh, he comes under divine sovereignty and he comes picking up, up his uh, human responsibility. He tells us this himself, John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, John 14, 31, I love the Father, says Jesus, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So here is Jesus, and he has locked on to the Father's will, and what results during his ministry is remarkable. It is amazing what we see happen through the, the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. People all over the place are moved from death to life and from darkness to light. And these are all kinds of people, right? Short people, tall people, female people, male people, broken people, got it all together people, religious people, sinners. I mean, it's, it is this tidal wave of life coming through Jesus. And, and some of the specific action, well, the, the lost get saved, the demonized and the addicted get set free, uh, the, the sick are healed, the broken are restored, and my favorite part, the unloved become the beloved. So all of this happens through Jesus. And we sit back and we look at this and we read this and we preach about it in wonder and excitement and joy, and we should. But then we get to the end of Jesus' life and something very unexpected happens, okay? We get to the end of his time on this earth and suddenly before Jesus leaves, he hands the baton off to the disciples and off to his followers, and that even includes us, the followers to come, Jesus gives them the great commission in, in effect saying, okay, now you get out there and you do what I've been doing. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples and his first followers. It's your turn. You do it. And then Jesus adds, okay, just to make sure we get the point clearly from him, in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these. Now, now stop for a minute and just consider the reaction of the 12 disciples when they hear those words. Okay? C consider those first followers hearing Jesus say that. You stop and think about that in your situation. I know the disciples had the same honest reaction that every one of us have when we hear these words from Jesus. Jesus, do you really believe what you just said? Do, do you really expect us to do what you've been doing and, and greater, whether it's, you know, uh, greater in quantity, greater in quality, do you really expect that? Jesus, do, do you know the people that I go to church with? How well do you know me, Jesus? I mean, don't get us wrong, we want to participate. Well, we hear about human responsibility, we see it, we want to take it up, but Jesus, your expectations here, they're, they're a bit lofty for us looking at who we are and who we've always been as people. And I want you to know we would be 100% right in that conclusion if it weren't for one thing. One thing that, we'll go slow here, that involves water, okay? Um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we, uh, we have the same scene from, from these three writers, and it is the, the baptism of Jesus 
in the Jordan River by John, okay? So, it, pretty simple scene. Uh, John, John and Jesus meet in the Jordan River. Jesus has to be baptized. John's like, oh my gosh, baptizing the Son of God. Jesus says, hey, this is to fulfill all righteousness. So, th so they do it, right? Jesus goes under the water. He comes back up out of the water. The Father speaks over him. And then the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove. And that's not a random moment, as we, we will so soon see. And, and what we have to realize is this. Before this moment, none of those things I mentioned earlier happened. People getting saved, uh, sick people being healed, people being delivered. None of that happened before this moment. Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then it all happens. And I mean literally the next chapter, it all begins. The ministry of Jesus begins after that. And, and the ministry of Jesus, if you want to pull it down into a nutshell, what is it? It is the love of God crashing into people's lives through the ministry of Jesus. It is beautiful. This is what Jesus intended for the church. This is what Jesus intended for you and I. And we know that not just because I'm up here kind of, you know, connecting dots and saying, well, theologically, this ought to fit. Not at all. This is actually the biblical action here. Uh, we know that because of Acts 1, where Jesus said in verses 4 and 5 to his followers, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Uh, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one of the more comical moments in the New Testament because Jesus could not have been clearer in this moment, okay? Uh, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's how it's going to happen. You're going to wait for it right here. Uh, he's even used the things we talked about. He's talked about, he's mentioned the word baptism, John, Holy Spirit. They ought to put this together like that. But the, the disciples look at each other and they go, oh, okay, Jesus, so I guess you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Is that what you're saying? And Jesus has to get super clear with them because they're completely missing the point. And so in verse 8, Jesus says, guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, meaning great commission witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Gentlemen, ladies, followers, disciples, God is going to empower you and lead you by the Holy Spirit like he did with me. So this is the setup. Now, all of this, I hope, I pray, is great encouragement to us. Take those three pieces, put them together. We have got a sweet situation for ourselves, okay? Number one, we've got divine sovereignty that God is in control and his plan is perfect. This plan is rooted in God's goodness and God's love, and it is all about salvation and life. Okay, number one, check, that's awesome. But then number two, that we are invited not only to be saved, but we are invited to be part of God's, king, uh, part of God's team. And by being a part of God's team, eh, God's not calling us to be a bat boy, or an equipment manager, God is calling us onto the field. It, it, it's an amazing thing to be a part of this, to do what Jesus did. And then three, that we are to be equipped and empowered by the same Holy Spirit 
that equipped and empowered Jesus. All the pieces are there. Um, and it's all awesome. But I do need to say there is a catch. Now, why do I say that? Because there's always a catch. Y'all know that. With anything you do, there's a catch. So here's the catch. The catch is that we have to say yes to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our churches. Um, Donnie said this a couple of weeks ago. It's a brilliant little line. You may have missed it. I doubt it because, you know, Donnie's Donnie. Uh, and we all listen to him. But it, it is that God is a gentleman and God never forces himself on people. Now, stop and think about that, okay? Uh, we can, human responsibility, we can accept or reject Jesus, right? Uh, we can obey or disobey the Word of God. We can be a part of the life of the church or not be a part of the church. We can worship or not. The disciples in this moment in Acts 1, 4 through 8, Jesus could say, hey, go wait in Jerusalem for the gift. The disciples can say no, they can go the other way. They can do something else with their lives. And this is one of the beautiful things about God. Though he initiate, though he draws, the, 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 though he is always moving in our lives, God never takes our arm, wrenches it, shoves it up our back and says, now you accept Jesus. Now you get a, he, he doesn't do that. Human responsibility allows us to say yes, to say no, to partner with God, uh, to go our own way, to cooperate or to be a solo act. And by the way, just so we all know, what is the will of God for the church? It is the Great Commission. It is that we be engaged in the Great Commission. But see, the thing for the church, we've got to realize with the Great Commission, according to, I mean, just what we read today, we've got to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit for this thing to work. Um, just like with Jesus, huh? I mean, there's our example. Uh, just like the first church. And by the way, if you rewind the biblical story, sometimes we get it wrong and we say, well, the Holy Spirit really started working in Jesus when he came down. Or, or boy, it took off in the first church. The pattern of the Holy Spirit falling upon men and women to accomplish mission and ministry for God, it goes through the whole Old Testament. Look at the prophets how many times do you see in the Old Testament, and the Spirit of God came upon this prophet, and then he spoke, or the Spirit of God came upon this king, and then he could lead. The judges are another great example. But we see this time and time again. When God calls and says, I want you to get out there and do this or that for me, the Spirit of God is, is always the power source. We've got to understand that. Now, having said that, okay, this is the part of the tape we might have to erase later on because it's maybe not as pastoral as it should be. But having said that, I fully acknowledge that there are Christians out there and I, who have gone cocoa for Cocoa Puffs when it comes to the Holy Spirit and have really gotten weird. And, and there has been abuse in the name of the Holy Spirit. But see, that doesn't get everybody else off the hook. Their abuse of the Spirit cannot become our excuse for pushing aside the person and the work of the Holy Spirit for ministry. We need to be empowered. We need to be equipped by the Spirit of the living God. You know, one of the great sins of the Western church, um, in, in my opinion, um, I think others might agree with this, but one of the great sins of the Western church in, in maybe the last 50, 60 years is this, that when it comes to 
who's sitting in the pilot seat, who's got the reins. It's us. We have been far too in control of everything. There's been far too much manpower in the church. When it comes to most churches, we set the direction. We make the decisions. We program away. We set all the policies. And I would just suggest to you that the fruit of that is everywhere these days. You know, you, you look at the church, I mean, and you could probably do a lot of these, but the church has slowly, maybe more quickly lately, it has been emptying out for the past 50 years. Um, when, when we look at lost people, the rate of lost people being saved in the last 50 years is abysmal. When you look within the church, the amount of people being transformed It really is not what it should be. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, they're very far hard to find in many of of, of the people of God. The church's voice, the church's influence is so much weaker than it used to be. So here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that we've had our turn running things in the church of Jesus Christ in America. Let's get back to following Jesus. Let's get back to the biblical way. Let's say yes to everything God has for us. And we start right here with the Great Commission. You know, why is the church in a weak place? You know, I've heard somebody ask me once, they said, where is the power of God in our church? I was guest speaking someone. Where is the power of God in our church? I said, well, let me ask you this. How's it going with evangelism in your church? We don't do any of that. Well, I I think the power of God is on the shelf with your witnessing program. That's where I think it is. We need to say yes to the mission of God, to the fruit of the Spirit, to the power of God, to the love of God, to the values of God, to life and life to the full. And then to something that we're going to talk about next week in, in broader terms, which is listening to and being led by the Spirit of God. If all that sounds good to you today then awesome. Um, the kingdom and the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God and the things of God, though, do come at a cost. To really go out and to succeed for God, it does come at a cost, and you should know what the cost is. Uh, it is the cost of surrender. One of the things that we will have to deal with if we're really going to get on mission and get on ministry with Jesus is the issue of surrender on our part. What does surrender mean? Well, surrender means this. It means saying yes to the things of God and saying no to all those things that compete with God. And I think it's one thing that we've become very comfortable with in America is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 6 of having two masters. You know, we've kind of got one hand clutching this and one hand clutching God. Jesus says that doesn't work. You know, for, for us, we cannot worship both God and money, to keep that example that he's using right there, uh, I would say in this day and age, we can't worship God and both politics. I was talking to a couple of people the other days. It was a political discussion. I was trying to get out of it. And the thought came to me, man, if you guys were as passionate about the kingdom of God and things of Jesus as you are about politics, we wouldn't have a problem in the church. That's a form of worship. It's going overboard. The same thing can be said of of nationalism in this day and time. The same thing can be said about ourselves or materialism. There just isn't room in our hearts for two masters. 
And so what I say is, man, we have called on him as Lord and Savior. We also want to welcome the fullness of his spirit for life and for ministry. And the beautiful thing about saying yes to the spirit of God is that the Holy Spirit has not just come to fuel us for mission. The Holy Spirit's also given to fuel our love for Jesus, to, to, to fuel our relationship with God, to both warm our hearts and to convict us about all of those things that get in the way, all of those things that, that rob us of life, to draw us into life and to strengthen us to say no to sin. I'm going to close in just a second, and one of the things that I'm going to pray about is fear. Because one thing I have found in the church is that because of the abuses of others or maybe the bad teaching here and there, there is some fear in many churches, in many Christians when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe this when it comes to fear in the Holy Spirit. I believe that is one of Satan's greatest inside jobs is to want us to fear the third person of the Trinity, the one who's been given to equip and empower us. Folks, I'll tell you this, when it comes to the Great Commission and the Christian life, removing the Holy Spirit actively and fully to remove him from the, from the work and the ministry of the church, that is like buying a car and then removing the engine from the car and then getting mad when the car won't drive you down the street. It just doesn't work. So let me pray for us, okay? Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you that your plan is such a good one. Oh God, there, there isn't a flaw in your design. And we just thank you that we, when we look at creation, we see that. Father, when we, we see your movement all throughout the Old Testament, pursuing and building and setting people free and then sending Jesus Christ, your very son, God in the flesh, to love us to yourself and then to pay the price for our sin and leaving us at this place where, where all we have to do is call on him and, and believe to be saved. What a beautiful thing you've done. God, I want to thank you today for the fullness of your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you that, that we, we just have this model of fruitfulness and fullness and uh, God, this, this ability now because of the Holy Spirit to be led. Lord, we, we as, as your people, we want to surrender to your agenda. We want to thank you in advance for what you do as we say yes to everything you've come to do. So Father God, thank you for what you're, you're doing in Cornerstone, what you will do. Thank you for what you're doing in lives and what you're going to do in the future. And Father, just... In, in any way, there is a yes, a, a no, or a maybe. God, turn it into a yes to all that you have. We thank you. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.